Hey everyone, I'm Ian Shapiro and you are listening to Politics Explained. Donald Trump does have a few tweets this morning that we could explain, but they're inconsequential at best. The real story is that this morning, Donald Trump took to the media waves, not via Twitter, but via television and radio and, you know, uh, normal uh, channels of information. And he did explicitly, or at least more so explicitly, call out racist groups like white nationalists, white supremacists, uh, the KKK, neo-Nazis as evil. And to a greater extent than he did on Saturday, condemned their violent actions in Charlottesville, Virginia over the weekend. In an original statement on Saturday, Donald Trump condemned all sides, many sides from which violence and hate were erupting. This statement was seen as weak and not explicitly attacking white supremacists, neo-Nazis, the KKK, all of the hate groups that were at the event. Instead, many saw this statement as a form of leaving the door open for moral equivalency between these pro-nationalists, uh, alt-right groups, and the anti-protesters that were protesting against racism and hate. Reaction from both the left and the right to these new Trump statements are pretty obvious. Individuals on the left say, hey, that's great, but there's still some moral equivalency in your direct quote, and it came too late. Individuals on the right are saying that we need to focus on Trump's calls for unity as a nation, and that liberals who dislike what he says now never would have liked what he said, even if he had said it on Saturday during his original statements. So... Yeah, apparently, just given our reactions to these two Trump statements, maybe we do need to come together at some level. Uh, fun little interaction with an analysis there. So, for more on all that, you are listening to Politics Explained. I'm Ian Shapiro. While the violence and alt-right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, have been basically at the epicenter of all news lately, there is more information coming out about the results of the Voter Fraud Commission. If you recall, in 2016, Donald Trump called voter fraud a major issue and claimed that it was voter fraud that cost him the popular vote despite winning the Electoral College and the presidency in 2016. President Trump claimed without proof that millions of people were voting illegally in the election. And we have some results across different states uh, from the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity. Well, okay, you caught me. To be perfectly honest, the results that I'm about to present are not actually from the Advisory Commission. They're from studies done before the commission was put in place, which reinforce not only what the state of the world is, but why the Advisory Commission on Election Integrity is not needed because we already know the answer to whether voter fraud is widespread and a big problem in our democracy. The answer is not really. Take the state of Arizona, for example. State officials examined hundreds of thousands of cases where someone might have voted twice in an election. After scrutinizing those cases, 30 were sent to the Arizona Attorney General's office for further investigation. 
of these 30, 20 results, uh, 20 votes resulted in convictions. That means that out of thousands and thousands of, you know, you know potential voter fraud cases, you know, 0.000 add however many zeros, proportion of them actually panned out. Chris Kobach, an individual leading the Advisory Commission on Voter Fraud, has only found a what has been described as whopping nine cases of voter fraud in Kansas since the year 2004. Now, these type of headlines and stories could probably make some people say, well, you only found nine because you weren't uh, you know, devoting enough resources to finding and rooting out voter fraud. The alternative argument is that you can only find nine cases because it's only a very small number of cases that exist in the first place. Anyway, Politics Explained actually has an entire podcast episode on voter fraud and uh, you know some of the ways that we study it, some of the ways the arguments on both sides are articulated. So if you're interested, uh, go ahead and check that out. If you're on the Anchor app, go to the Episodes tab to find you know on voter fraud or voter fraud explained. I'm not entirely sure about what I labeled it back then. Uh, but yeah, for more news on politics, you're listening to Politics Explained. I'm Ian Shapiro. Hey everyone, this is Ian Shapiro, your host for Politics Explained, and it's not every day that I go, you know, rogue and do a mostly editorial segment, and this won't be that either, Uh, but I did read an article on PS Mag that does a good job of helping us understand what the difference is between general political divisiveness and polarization that we talk about almost on an everyday basis today in American politics, and what went down in Charlottesville, Virginia, with the alt-right rally and the, you know, protesters versus ralliers violence that went on. Um, So I'll try to summarize this and give some ideas on, you know, how we can use this to help us process what happened and move forward as a country, yada, yada, yada. So political polarization is very real. Political scientists and other observers have basically written a lot of journal articles and we've collected evidence of political polarization growing over time from a lot of different sources using many different methodologies. This is a robust finding. And while we decry polarization a lot, it's not always a terrible thing. The further the parties are apart from each other, sure, it means that there's going to be hard to find compromise and get things done, but it also means that during elections, you and I have very clear choices about the direction that the country can take and how these choices are different from each other and also whatever the status quo happens to be. Now, what we saw in Charlottesville is quite different. It's a different kind of division. Um, As Seth Maskett says, on one side of the divide were people carrying Nazi and Confederate flags, carrying torches and holding their arms in a Nazi salute, proudly and openly boasting of the supremacy of the white race. On the other side were people opposed to that vision. A white supremacist even drove his car into a group of counter-protesters, One woman was killed and many others were seriously injured. There is a difference between political polarization that is generally rooted in sincere preferences and, you know, fought in the battleground of, you know, Congress and legislative halls and the type of divisiveness that is distinctly about hate. 
I almost cringe when I use the word divisiveness in this uh, position. So when you have Nazis marching on an American city, attacking and killing people, and then you have political leaders and, and social and media mouthpieces saying that we all need to come together, there's a disconnect between what's happening and the, the, the claims for reconciliation that are occurring. The best way to summarize this is how Seth Maskett in the uh, Pacific Standard Magazine says it, is when violent white supremacists attack and kill people, criticizing divisiveness and urging people to unite is a dodge. All politicians, media sources, outlets, right, left, it doesn't matter what side of the political divide you're on, need to take their fingers, point them, at the groups of white supremacists, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, and alt-right rallyists that came to Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday and unequivocally, with unambiguous language, that means direct and to the point, it can't be tossed around or you know mixed up like weird spaghetti, need to condemn these groups. Say that their behavior, even their attitudes, are not to be tolerated in a free democracy. Events like what occurred in Charlottesville, Virginia, are not matters of freedom of speech or freedom of assembly. Hey everyone, this is Ian Shapiro, your host for Politics Explained, and I'm actually here for our ending segment today. Uh, we're checking in with Ellen. Ellen's my girlfriend, uh, she lives with me now, and Ellen has some insight into um, a very particular periodical. Uh, Ellen, what do you have to say? Um, well, I follow Elle Magazine on Facebook, and I always thought it was like more of like a fashion editorial magazine, but they've been posting a lot of Game of Thrones, so I'm accidentally like knowing all this stuff about Game of Thrones. Like, I guess King Robert predicted every Stark's fate in the first episode of Game of Thrones. I'm like, I don't know, I just didn't expect that from a fashion magazine. <laughs> Okay, yeah, neither did I. Uh, so we'll get back to the politics on Politics Explained tomorrow. Uh, Ellen, say bye. Bye. And I'm Ian Shapiro. Now I'm going to sound really cool by comparison to just you talking.